Well, again, good morning. Good morning and welcome. My name is George Davis. Thank you for joining us in person or online. Uh, great to see you this morning as we're moving towards Easter. This is Palm Sunday, so thank you for joining us. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we'll get there in a moment. Thanks, Steve. And uh, as we're getting there, let me just remind you of something that you already know, and that is that uh, 2022 is an election year. <laughs> didn't hear a great deal of enthusiasm. When I, I didn't hear a great deal of enthusiasm in the early service. There's some commonality here. Uh, it is an election year, and uh, depending on how much media you consume, how much television you watch, you've already started to see, right, lots of television commercials about different offices, different people running in the primaries. We've got multiple contested races here in Pennsylvania, and so you're already experiencing that. Uh, most likely as well, you may already be getting all the mail and the big cards and, you know, the campaign stuff that comes during an election cycle. I have to confess that particularly during this time of the year, I go check the mail and I go by the recycle bin on my way into the house. And let's just say the mail is much lighter by the time I get into my back door. And uh, we, we, we've been through these seasons before and I don't know how cynical you are, but the reality is I think most of us know that at times during election season, we're going to hear things people say that are running for office and we just put it under the category, that's just what you have to say to get elected, or those are campaign promises. And, and by the end of the election cycle, all of us will have heard things that we just, we put into one of those categories. We just don't take it that seriously. Now, that's how we hear messaging during a campaign season, but let me ask you this question. What, what about the teachings of Jesus? What about the words of Jesus? Are there, are there certain things that Jesus said that you kind of put under the label of empty promises? Or maybe you would say, well, that sounds too heretical. I would never think in those terms, but at least are there certain things that Jesus said that maybe you, you simply view them as promises to an elite few. These are things that don't apply to people like you, right? I mean, it's great. He said certain things, but those really, those words just don't apply to me. Well, as I mentioned, today is Palm Sunday. This is the day we remember Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem that precedes his arrest and crucifixion. It's a day we remember as initially triumphant, yet the reality would be much different by the end of the week. Because it would be a day where thousands upon thousands of people would be gathering in Jerusalem. Gathering to celebrate Passover, this great national festival, remembering this iconic moment of freedom and God's deliverance in Israel's history. And with the, the and with the crowds in Jerusalem expanding, with the population of Jerusalem arguably being several hundred thousand people larger at that moment, people who were thinking in nationalistic terms from the perspective of the Roman leadership and the Jewish elite, it would only take a slight spark to instigate a massive insurrection. And they were worried that spark could come from Jesus. 
And so this week that begins so well will be a week of rising tension, rising concern, rising opposition. Yet in the midst of that, among other things, Jesus will use parts of this week as opportunities to give final instruction to that core of disciples around him, to give final instruction, preparing them for what's about to happen and and what lies ahead. The the largest uh, set of teaching material from this time in that last week before the crucifixion is found in John chapters 14 through 17, a section sometimes referred to as the farewell discourse, that final teaching section given to Jesus' disciples. And in that, we we read these words. I mean, part of that final instruction to uh, to his disciples included this statement. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, as you read those words, as you listen to this statement from Jesus, think about the group of people that were hearing those words for the first time. These were the the disciples that had been with Jesus throughout his public ministry. And over the last few weeks, right, we traced the public ministry of Jesus as we worked our way through the storyline evident in all four Gospels. And, and we've seen Jesus do, do much of his ministry around the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples were there. He said amazing things. He did amazing things. We've seen him move into the surrounding areas that were Gentile-dominated, and the disciples were there. We've seen him send them out on mission. We've seen him move back slowly to Jerusalem, and the disciples were with him all the way, and they've seen some incredible things, but now, at least initially, it's going to feel like their entire world is coming to a cataclysmic end. And in the midst of that reality, Jesus says to them, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Jesus, how can you be talking about peace at a time like this? Furthermore, think about their future. Because after the resurrection, these are the individuals that will be leaders in the early Christian movement. And as leaders in this early Christian movement, they're going to have to deal with tension and dissension internally. Furthermore, externally, they're going to have to deal with opposition and persecution, even opposition that will ultimately lead to Christians being dispersed from the city of Jerusalem into all parts of the Roman world. And given that future for these individuals, Jesus has the audacity to look at them and say, okay, peace, I live with you. My peace I give to you. How can he be talking about peace at a time like that? Even as we think about the the, the situation for these disciples hearing this message, let's just think about us for a moment. So let me give you this assignment. If you're going to have lunch with friends, family, or if, you know, you're going out to eat, whatever that looks like after this service, here's a conversation starter for you, okay? Have everyone go around the table, and, and here's the question. If you could kind of summarize your current life, even kind of how you're doing, your emotional state, how things are going for you, if you could summarize your life right now in one word, what would your word be? Just, just have that conversation, see how it goes. 
I was asked to do that recently. We actually, at, at our elder team, we went around the table and we, we did this. And kind of, it was kind of a great um, just opportunity to kind of hear different guys' stories. And, and when we got to me, I, I said this, my word is complicated. <laughs> that's just kind of how my, that's just really how my life feels right now. It just feels complicated. I mean, here we are, I mean, think of that, right, this, here we are as a church, we're kind of coming out of an unexpected season and we're moving into a new season and we're figuring out, okay, what is what does it look like for us to do our mission in this new season? And, what, and, and even as we think about the next few years, as we're seeking to be intentional and engaging young adults, what does, that, what does that look like to do that well? And we're kind of just in a new place. And even with our staff this week, uh, the, the term I used is, hey, folks, we're now off-roading, right? We're, just, we're off the map a little bit, and we're, we're going to figure it out as we go. And, they, and that's exciting. There's opportunity in front of us, but it's also complicated. And my role as a dad, right? And, uh, you know, now in this season with adult sons, we're having, in so many ways, so much fun, and so much of that is encouraging, but at times it gets really complicated. So what about you? What is, what is your word? And in light of whatever that word may be, how do you hear Jesus' words, peace, I leave with you, my peace, I give you? Now, I realize these these words were originally spoken to a specific group of Jesus' followers. And yet, I believe there are clues in the entire farewell discourse that the words he is speaking have ongoing implications for future generations of Christians just like us. So, if you are a follower of Christ, in a real sense, these words are directed to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. So, how do you hear them? How should we hear those words right now in our particular situation? Well, I think as we, as we explore what John is saying here, or excuse me, what Jesus is saying here, I think it's important to pay attention to the broader context in which this statement occurs. So let's, let's just look at the broader context. Let's go back and look at really the section that leads up to this statement in verse 27. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, most likely this is the disciple also known as Thaddeus, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And then that leads up to this statement where Jesus says, look, I'm leaving you my peace. My peace is going with you. 
Now, as we look at the broader context of that statement, let me, let me just highlight three themes that I think we need to understand. The first is the theme of relationship. I think it's important to understand that these words, and particularly the statement about peace, occur in the context of a, a relationship. Now, you, you may read this, and you may think in only transactional terms, right? So, for instance, if you noted, one of the themes, and we'll come back to this, is the theme of obedience. So you may read this and think, okay, here's the deal. If I obey, God gives me his peace, right? You, you may think simply in transactional terms. Almost like, you know, this kind of an employer-employee relationship, right? Here's the job requirement, and I need to obey, and then here's the compensation. Well, Jesus, Jesus gives me his peace. And so it's possible, I think, for some to, to kind of read paragraphs like this in the Bible, and you think only in transactional terms. You, just, you, you do this for me, I'll do this for you. Okay, here's what you do for God, and here's what God will do for you. But if you read this that way, I think you're really missing out on how God engages people. In fact, you're missing out on how God engages people throughout the scriptures. To show you what I mean, think about what happens shortly before Jesus utters these words. Because right before, right before this time of teaching, Jesus shares that Passover meal with his disciples, right? Again, that meal that celebrates this great, iconic moment in Israel's history that was a moment of God's deliverance, of God's liberation, and God's freedom. And they, they come and they celebrate this meal together, but this is totally different from any other Passover meal they've celebrated because this time, as Jesus leads them in the celebration, he takes the elements of the meal and points them toward himself, as if he is going to be the ultimate source of liberation and God's ultimate deliverer. And at one point then, he takes one of the cups that would have been used during that ceremony, and as they drink it, he says this, and here's the language, this is the new covenant of my blood. Now that may sound a little weird, but understand the language is rooted deeply in the pages of the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament prophets, we see this expectation that God will one day do something new. And it can be described as a new covenant. And so Jesus is now saying that that new covenant is being act enacted through his death and resurrection. It's being brought into operation through what he is about to do. Now, again, that word covenant may, be, may not be one that we use frequently, but the, the idea of covenant in Scripture is, is the idea of a formalized relationship. And, and as you read the pages of Scripture, it becomes that through, clear that throughout the pages of Scripture, God engages people uh, through covenants. And every covenant really has a past, present, and future dimension. In terms of the new covenant, it, it begins with Jesus, with, with God's initiative. It begins with his grace. It begins with his pursuit of us through the work of Jesus Christ. And even as it has a past, it, it also has a future. Right? One day God will completely fulfill his promises in the new heavens and the new earth. 
This covenant has a direction. It's moving in a particular way toward the fulfillment of those promises. And and Jesus even alludes to that in this farewell discourse when he talks about going to prepare a place for you. So in the context of this relationship, in the context of this past and this future, all of which is driven by God's grace, in the context of this relationship, we are to engage God in the present. And this leads to the second theme, right? There's there's this relationship, and in the context of this relationship, there is the theme of response. And as you read this part of the farewell discourse, you'll notice the importance that is placed on obedience. But notice something fascinating in this section. Notice the way obedience is linked with love. So again, starting in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. You see that? Throughout this section, there's this interconnection between love and obedience. Now think about that for a moment, because let's be honest. All of us have been in situations where our obedience was not driven by love, right? Sometimes it's driven by fear. Sometimes it's just driven by the reality of, I just don't want to have to deal with the consequences of of not obeying. So we've had that experience perhaps at times in families, in school, in the workplace. I mean, I, and we, you know, we learn this early on, even as kids. Sometimes you just obey because it's easier. I still remember, uh, you know, many years ago, as an elementary school student, one of my teachers had certain extra job responsibilities, which meant from time to time she would have to go to the office. And when she went to the office, she would leave us by ourselves in the classroom. But every time she went to the office, here's what she would do. She would look up and she would point to the intercom. And here's what she would say. She would say something like this. Okay, class, I'm going to the office. But I want you to know, we can turn that on. And we can hear everything that you say. That's all it took for me, right? I mean, I'm I'm good with that. And, you know, that worked for me. I'm not going to say anything. And, And, you know, years later, I look back on that and I'm thinking, I bet they never turned it on. I'm not even sure it worked well that way, right? But who cares because what she had done, she kind of set the stage that, that none of us wanted to be the voice of the student heard on the intercom because of the potential consequences. We all obeyed, but it, it's not an obedi- obedience driven by love. It was just, we just want, didn't want to have to deal with the consequences of disobeying. All of us know those experiences, and yet Jesus is talking about something here that is different. Here, obedience is linked with love. Now, once again, put yourself in, put yourself in, in the context of those disciples that are hearing this for the first time, right? And think about their experience. Over the last few years, they had traveled with Jesus. They had seen him do amazing things. They had talked with him. They'd listened to him. 
And already, I think, to a rude, in a rudimentary way, I mean, the resurrection hasn't happened yet, but already in a rudimentary way, they're coming to understand he has the words of life. I mean, there's even that scene earlier, you know, in Jesus' ministry where people are starting to grumble and complain and some people are starting to leave because they don't like his teaching and he has this conversation with Peter and in essence, it's like, so Peter, you're going to walk away too? And Peter's like, well, where would we go? You're the one who has life-giving words. You're the one who has the words of eternal life. And you see, already the disciples are coming to understand he really is the way, the truth, and the life. And you see, when, when, you, when you realize that the way of Jesus is life-giving. When you realize, that, you know, this really is the way of human flourishing, when you realize that it changes obedience. Obedience is not driven by fear, it's, it's driven by love. And, and so when you view this as, as the way of true life, obedience simply looks differently. Let me just kind of give you just one example. So just take the area, kind of it's a big area debate, conversation in our culture now of human sexuality. And think about kind of the biblical approach to human sexuality, that according to God's design, that sexual expression is to be experienced between a man and a woman in a marriage relationship. And arguably that view is endorsed by Jesus when you look at several instances of his teaching related to this. And the truth is we, we now live in a cultural moment where for many that approach to human sexuality is viewed as archaic, it's outdated, it's repressive. It needs to be discarded. With that in mind, I was intrigued by a column that appeared in the Washington Post three weeks ago. It's written by one of their younger columnists, and it's on kind of sexual expression, and and she spends a lot of time in the column talking about how today in our culture we value the importance of consent in sexuality. We've recognized the importance of consent, and she talks about how necessary that is, but the, the column is entitled this, Consent is Not Enough. We Need a New Sexual Ethic. And let me just read you part of her column. She writes... Many of my contemporaries are discouraged by the romantic landscape, its lack of trust, emotion, and commitment. But they also believe that safer options and smoother avenues aren't possible. She continues a little later in the column. In our post-sexual revolution culture, there seems to be wide agreement among young adults that sex is good and the more of it we have, the better. But then she says this, but the outcome, the outcome is a world in which young people are both liberated and miserable. You know, I read this and I I just kind of, my, my first thought was, oh, I wish you could hear the words of Jesus inviting you to a different way to live. I wish you could hear kind of the words of Jesus in inviting you to a different way of life, including how we engage the world sexually. 
So do, do I see Jesus as, as the way of true life? Because that, that changes what obedience looks like. Now, I realize at this point you may say, okay, George, I, I get it. I, we, you know, that, we're, that when we become followers of Jesus, we become part of this relationship, and, and our response needs to be obedience, but it's obedience rooted in love. I get all that. But frankly, that can be hard. A lot of situations, I don't know what obedience looks like or... Um, not quite sure what next steps I should take. And after all, for the disciples who are hearing all of this, they had Jesus. They had had those conversations with him. He was right there. And, and that reality leads us kind of just to the third theme that I want you to notice from the broader context, and, and that is this, right? We're invited into a relationship. We're invited to respond out of obedience in the context of this relationship. But also notice that this passage highlights the truth that we're given a resource, the Holy Spirit. Again, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. That language reappears in verse 26. So you see these themes kind of, are, kind of, they come back to the surface. They're webbed together in multiple instances in this passage. Verse 36, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Now that term uh, translated there, advocate, it's an interesting term in Greek. It's this term paraclete um, and and if you read different versions of the Bible, you will discover in different versions it's translated differently. It can be translated advocate or helper or counselor. Um, different ways that this term is translated, even also comforter. Those are some of the ways it is translated. And, and part of the challenge is it's, it's a very unusual term. It only occurs five times in the New Testament, all in the writings of Paul. And outside of the New Testament, it's, there, there are only 15 known occurrences in all of ancient Greek literature that we have. So it's a very unusual term. And, and I think in some ways it's hard to get a handle on the best way to translate this because in so many ways all of these terms reflect different dimensions of the Spirit's work. Notice again, Jesus says, I'm going to send you another paraclete, another advocate. And what he's telling the disciples is this. Even as I have been with you to teach, to encourage, to convict, to counsel, my spirit is going to do that as well. I'm not abandoning you. I'm not leaving you as orphans. And notice an important dimension of the spirit's work is, is to shape us by the truth of Jesus, right? He's the spirit of truth. He's the spirit of truth who teaches, who reminds us of Jesus, who points us to the work of Jesus. Now, I realize when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it raises all sorts of questions. It can create all sorts of confusion. You know, what is, it, what is this like? And, and um, I'm not going to be able to answer all those questions right now, but I do, think, I do think in this passage there are two reasons why we need to take the Spirit's work seriously. First of all, if, if I'm not shaped by the Holy Spirit, I will be shaped by other things. If I'm not shaped by the Holy Spirit, I will be shaped by other things. Once again, think about the disciples. After the events of this week, 
their lives are about to get more complicated. After the start of the Christian movement, they're going to have to deal with that internal tension and disagreement, the external oppression and persecution. That's going to be a part of their journey. In fact, Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, and that was their experience. So the question is, is, is there, are their lives simply going to be shaped by those other realities? Are their lives simply going to be shaped by the pressure they will go through? Will they simply cave to that pressure and the fear that will come with it? Will they be overwhelmed? They needed the work of God's Spirit. Even as that was true then, it's true now. If my life isn't being shaped by the Spirit, it's being shaped by other things. For some of us, the the driving thing that shapes us are experiences from our past. Certain situations, certain relationships. Sometimes those are positive, sometimes not so positive. For others, perhaps the driving factor that is shaping our lives is our performance, how we're doing, and our level of achievement, whatever that can look like for you personally or vocationally. For others, a driving factor that shapes us is how we're perceived by others. Yet the work of God's Spirit is to remind me of Jesus Christ. so that our lives might be shaped by the truth of who he is, what he is doing, and that our self-perception might be shaped by those factors. So if I'm not being shaped by the Spirit, I will be shaped by other things. Secondly, if I'm not being shaped by the Spirit, I'm missing out on the life Jesus invites me to live. Interestingly, right before this paragraph, right right before this paragraph that builds to this idea of peace, right before this paragraph that says, I'm sending you my spirit, right before this paragraph, Jesus talks about the great works his followers will be able to do. And he says they're going to be able to do them because I'm going to the Father. Now, in the language of the farewell discourse, going to the Father is linked with the coming of the Spirit. So in other words, Jesus is saying there are great works my followers are going to be able to do because the Spirit is coming. The Spirit who will be at work in them and around them. So Jesus Jesus is inviting you. He's inviting me into a way of life where the Spirit is at work and we're part of the process. And as you read this discourse, if you go back and read through these chapters, you'll notice that from time to time he's describing how God's Spirit will be at work through his disciples and how God's Spirit will be at work in the world. So now I'm I'm to, to live a life where I'm just open to that. Open to that work and, and realize that I'm to be a participant in that work. This is a recent edition of the Greek New Testament. It's called a reader's edition, and what that means is if you look at the bottom of each page, you'll actually find vocabulary help, and that really is a great resource. Last Saturday, I was on on a call with one of the editors of this volume, and he he shared an interesting story. He said, you know, I've, I've recently been contacted by an organization, a Christian organization, 
that works in prisons throughout our country. And he said, you know, this is an organization really that helps individuals who are incarcerated come to understand the gospel, the good news of Christ, and helps them kind of in that journey to kind of take next steps. And he said, he said, in one of the prison systems where we're working, there's just been this growing group of individuals who just want to, now, now that they're taking steps, they want to learn more about the Bible. And, and they've even gotten interested in, you know, studying the Bible, the, particularly the New Testament in the original language. So this organization has started these study groups in prison using this particular volume. And as of now, there, there are 106 inmates that are part of these study groups. And, you know, he, he shared that story, and as, he, as we're on this Zoom call together, my first thought was, wow, <laughs> I don't always think about God being at work in a place like that. But you see, I've, I've been invited into a way of life where I recognize the Spirit is at work. I don't always understand what that looks like or what that means, but I, I need to engage life with that expectation. Several weeks ago, even as we were right, working through the storyline of Jesus, we, we looked at a passage where Jesus was sending people out into mission. And if you were with us, I asked, what's one thing that you can do to be a part of God's mission, even as we lead up to Easter? I don't know how you thought of that question, but for me, I, kind of a, a next step was just continuing a particular conversation conversation with, with an individual that we've started and, uh, you know, just a conversation about life and priorities and even what faith can look like in that journey. So why, why should that be a priority for me? Because I've, I've been drawn into this journey where God's Spirit is at work. And if, if I'm not open to the work of God's Spirit, I'm not living the life that Jesus is inviting me to live. So the question is, how am I opening up my life to his work? How am I creating space for him to be at work? This is one of the reasons why, in an ongoing basis, we're trying to help you develop spiritual habits and spiritual rhythms. You'll notice even in our services where... We're seeking to be more intentional and cre- just creating space for reflection and for space for God's Spirit to be at work. It's why we're inviting you in different ways to develop habits of engaging God in Scripture and prayer and creating resources to help you do that, even a weekly devotional guide. Even this week, it's one of the reasons why we're giving you the opportunity to go through this Easter experience, right? Over the last several months, we've, we've worked through the storyline of Jesus. Now you have an opportunity this week to kind of experience that, that storyline in a different way. And as you, go through, as you go through the Easter experience this week, we've got a, a kind of a, just a study guide that kind of asks you questions and helps you work through the significance for your life of these different scenes in the life of Jesus. And in addition, we've even got a, we've even got a guide for families that includes kids' activities. So you, you can do this as a family if, if you would like. And why are we doing things like this? Because we want to be open to the shaping work of God's Spirit. So with all of that in mind, hear once again Jesus' words. 
peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And as you hear those words, hear them in this context. Hear them in the context of a relationship that he has initiated. Hear them in the context of a relationship that now provides the peace that comes through his work of restoration and renewal, his work of wholeness. Hear them in the context of a relationship that will one day be made complete. And hear them in the context of of our own response that in light of what Christ has done, we're being invited into a way of life that is for our good so that we can obey him out of love. And hear them in the context of this. He is giving us his resource, his spirit, who comes alongside to shape us, to equip us, so that we can be part of his mission. So the reality is this. Even as we now move towards Easter this week, (laughs) whatever your one word is, Whatever that word is, you you don't have to live in fear. We are invited into his peace. Will you embrace it? Let's pray together. So, Father, on this Palm Sunday, we think about Jesus entering into Jerusalem. We think about him being surrounded by thousands, tens of thousands, arguably even several hundred thousand people also moving to the city. The city that would in that week become a potential powder keg. And because it could blow at many, at any moment there would be rising tension, rising pressure, rising concern on behalf of those in power not to allow Jesus to lead an insurrection. And all of that would build to his execution on the cross. And yet, in the midst of that, Father, we hear these words. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. And frankly, perhaps for some of us, in light of our one word right now, that just seems so disconnected. That seems so far into our lives. And yet, Father, I pray that as we understand the broader context in which that was uttered, that we would understand it really does apply to us. That if we are followers of Jesus, we've been invited into a relationship that you have made possible. We've been invited to a, a relationship where we can respond out of love because what you proscribe is good for us. And we've been, we've been invited into relationship where your spirit is at work as we make space for him he is shaping us so that more and more we reflect the character of Christ and father it's truly in the context of this relationship that we can experience your peace so I pray that we would hear Jesus's words addressed to us right now I pray we would hear them as an invitation to us right now. I pray we wouldn't hear them as empty words or words only for those other people. I pray we would set aside our excuses to hear these as the words of truth.
and recognize that we can be people who embrace your peace. And I pray these in the name of the one who makes that possible, Jesus Christ, amen. So again, I want to thank you for joining us as we begin this week moving toward Easter. And I hope you can be a part of the Easter experience and our Easter celebration next weekend. At this time, I'm going to invite members of our prayer team to the front. If, if even as you've been kind of wrestling with your one word, if there are ways we can pray with you or help you understand this journey of following Jesus, we'd love to have that opportunity uh, right after the service. So we're going to be available here at the front. And also, as you leave, our ushers are going to be at the doors receiving contributions for our compassion offering. So thank you for helping us with that. And so now as you go, now as we, as we begin this week, moving toward Easter, would you hear again Jesus' words directed to you? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Amen. Amen.